Okay, so a couple of things about the kids. One is there's a bazillion of them under the age of like nine months back there. I mean, they're, they're really young. When you're, when you're, and they were, they were wonderful. They were absolutely wonderful. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Which is like four. Yeah, no. So they were, but they were very, very good. I mean, we talked to them a little bit before, but there was no, it's really remarkable how good they were. Second is, we're still learning. If we put them upstairs, um, it's automatically mic'd. You can hear them better, but it's not really, that's one thing it's not probably good for as kids and a lot of adults that, and to pack them together. Plus, it's nice to have them near the font. So we're going to try to mic them next time around so that you can hear them a little better. Although, I will say, they did pretty well. And I have the worst seat for that because I'm the farthest distance. So, and it did get to me, so I presume it was okay, you know, amidst you, was it? But the, the other thing is you want them to have the sense that they're contributing and even controlling what's happening when, they're, when it's their bit. So we, have to, we, wanna, we wanna honor them and take good care of them, so that was fun. Thank you for that. Um, put money in the basket. Uh, we'll, you know, we're gonna we'll put it in for Spain. I'm still trying to, there's a meeting in January, there's a meeting in March, there's a meeting in May. They're still trying to sort out what to do. I'm trying to bump Fred Gady to go because he speaks Spanish. And he, I'm trying to get he and Val to just take a road trip and he, for him to preach and celebrate the Eucharist every place he goes. So, and Val, I, I, she'll figure out something to do, I don't know. <laughs> be interesting to see, uh, she here? No, we'll talk about it behind her. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see Val in, talking in another language. So that would be a whole, there's, there's so many cross currents going on there, but she'll be great because whatever Val's got going, it'll translate. Next, I just want to say I really wasn't available for private confession at the door today. The number of men who said, I am not the cranky man, <laughs> me thinks you protest too much. Uh, you know, but it, it is what it is. So, you know, but it was, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. So, all right, everybody good? All right, we're in this, <clears throat> it's been a strange start to the year because we've had a couple of visitors in a very short time. And um, let me just try to tell you, let me kind of go back and tell you, you know, what I'm trying to do here. I'm going to tell you the end game first. I think that the Holy Spirit has given you more than you realize. Okay, so that's the point. The point of the year is, the Holy Spirit has given you more than you realize. You're wonderful people and you get an awful lot done. But sometimes it feels to me as if you're, you're going with one arm tied behind your back, which is really unnecessary. That, now that doesn't, I, I just want to translate this. This does not mean that the end game of what I'm trying to do is to get you to do, like volunteer for a lot more things and be around a lot more and do all that. Everybody I talk to, everybody, without exception. I mean, there's a very few people, but almost everybody I talk to is completely oversubscribed. They just, people are just up to their noses. Husbands and wives don't talk. Kids don't see their parents. You know, we ask you to do something here, and sometimes it gets over the line to be a burden rather than a blessing. What, I, what I'm trying to do, I mean, what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to teach this out of Scripture, I'm trying for you to find a balance in your life where the church and Christ is first but not the only thing, because you all have all sorts of places where you are. You're meant to be in the church, and different people have different talents here. So Penny, you know, for example, our best use of Penny at this point in time is bringing 50 kids under the age of fourth grade. You didn't even notice them. I didn't even, you know what the amazing thing is? You didn't notice them. Did you notice them? I mean, they weren't talking, they weren't poking, there wasn't any trouble. I mean, the pastors called, caused more problems with their microphones than any of those kids did, <laughs> you know? 
And what a marvel. So that's the best use of Penny. That's just a good example. You know, her, that's a great use of her. But we don't want to, you know, we can't have them sing every week because nobody could stand that much press. So this is in some sense, um, and I think this may be true just in general of the congregation, we want to try to go for a, a bit more quality and a bit less quantity. So you should not hear any of what's happening as, you know, you know, this or get busy or here we go or why don't you do it's That's not the point. The point is what I want you to do is I want you to look up and say, wow, you know, we got televisions in all our room and we only ever watch it downstairs, you know. I mean, I want you to, hey, my phone works over here and it works over you. I want you to be able to see that there's so many possibilities and then the ones that please you, the one the Lord's equipped you for, whatever it is, and all of you have different skills. So I could just tell you the big push is not going to be at the end some figure wagging, why don't you do more? What we want to do is kind of have everybody have the baseline thing. So this is what we did the first week. The baseline gift of the Holy Spirit is the church, Acts 2. His job is to make you holy. He chooses to make you holy through the church. Okay. In the church, there is the living voice of Jesus, so the preached word, the word that absolves. When you turn to your kid or your wife or your husband or your friend and say, I forgive you, when you hear the scriptures read, so there, see, there's four ways the living voice of Jesus works, okay? The Holy Spirit gives you voice in the church. He also gives you, if you were at the first, if you were at the first service, you know, you also saw it in baptism. And, um, you know, then you saw it, you know, at the Eucharist. It's a great Eucharist when you, you know, we were, and you at the end, we rationed you. You know, everybody got children's portions the last time around because, you know, we were right at the end and we knew that. It just needs to touch you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit decides that he will work. Jesus and the, and the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit worked it out. We're going to work through the church. We're going to work through Word and sacrament, you're very, very used to, to hearing that, okay? That's kind of the baseline thing. And we've talked about that as Christ's scripture, prayer, the liturgy, slash Eucharist, right? Um, tithing and alms, um, 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 a, a mercy that extends, and a really good witness. Now, I'm really comfortable and confident about where the congregation in terms of, you know, knowing that much of the story. Um, it's in our, it's, it's in us, you know, it's just in the air here. Yeah, we don't all do it and we forget things and we mess it up sometimes, it does but I'm confident that that's kind of a baseline story that's been told for enough years that if somebody said to you, you know, what's cooking? You'd say Christ's scripture, prayer, the Eucharist, you know, tithing and alms, mercy and witness. However, I want to see if we can explore and even extend the gifts a bit. And I think Part of, the, part of the way that this goes wrong is so often pastors and, you know, whatever, whoever else talks to you, you know, it very much comes off as, you know, this rather than, and, and that sets you alone, you see, and it makes you feel unloved. So pastors, you give this to people, and, and the church, churches let themselves go to crisis before they, and so, you know, then the church is always crisis management, and you're, you're always, you know, people are always feeling under the gun. Okay, we want to sort of, that's not who we want to be, you know. We don't want to be the cranky old man. That's not, I mean, it's a, such a simple story. It's taken me forever to kind of get to the story. But basically that story is, if we think that God is cranky with us, it's really discouraging. I mean, that's, a, that's the story that, in a sentence, that's what Jesus is saying. If you think that God is, it's like having a father who's always disappointed in you. 
You know, if you think your father's always disappointed you, you eventually don't come home for Christmas anymore, okay? It's the same way in the church. If you think God the Father is always disappointed with you, then things are discouraging, not just your prayers, but your giving, coming to church, reading, prayers, all that kind of stuff. It just, you know, you, you feel, and I can tell you generations of people have gone through the church feeling bad. There's no reason for that. And, um, you know, it doesn't need to be. Pause. What I talked about with John Kleinig over sushi. Oh, my goodness, this is still left from yesterday. So here's the thing. This is nice, but this has to go. Okay, oh, that's good. This is how things work in the church. Uh, no, no, it's okay. They do say they're dry erase, so I think it's just a matter of more effort. Is there squirty stuff down there? Is there squirty stuff? That's, forget it. All you need to know is this. Think of chopsticks. So I'm, I'm sitting with Kleining, and we're talking about how the law works. Imagine the, oh, the squirty stuff. You're a nice person. Thank you. It's, um, let's, wow, we need a bigger, always have a bigger squirty thing. That's my <laughs> advice for today, okay? So, um, and part of it is, and, and what I, oh, that's good, man. That's perfect. That's what I was going for is that kind of muddy color. Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, this whole morning is going just how I hoped, okay? <laughs> it looks like a tornado. It does. Out of way. See, the thing is, the Lord, the Lord provides, okay? Don't worry, my son, the Lord will I don't really need that much. That's the hard part. Oh, boy. Okay, good. Uh, let me just put that over there. And uh, all you got to think about is like this. Oh, whoops, I shouldn't have made it curvy. Just think like this. So we were talking about why people always find God so threatening, you know? And um, he said something that I've always said to you. I've often said it to you in this way, that the Ten Commandments are, are the gospel before they are the law. Lutherans struggle with this so, and, and to even have this conversation, there's nobody who wants to have it because uh, people get up on all sides of it and it doesn't, it doesn't work out very well. But I think this is one of the troubles of, of thinking about how God talks to us and how God feels about us. So I gave him my big speech about the Passover and all this kind of stuff. And he, you know, yeah, exactly right. Um, the great connection was, uh, was this, and this is always so, this is why, you know, having them around somebody like this around is so helpful because you sort of say, oh yeah, you've thought about this in the same way. If I asked you, uh, you know, what you think of God, not, without the pie, in fact, I'm not even going to ask you to answer, I just want you to think in your own head. If I actually asked you about um, when God gives you the Ten Commandments, for, for example, when you think about the Ten Commandments, okay, when you think about the Ten Commandments, and maybe you're ruined from being around me, I hope you are, but when most people think about the Ten Commandments, what they think about is, frankly, the law always accuses, and God wants to condemn me. And if the Ten Commandments really are the character of God's heart, they really define who God is, and he's revealing the divine life. And then Lutherans, and I believe this, but it needs to be in proper context, the law always accuses. That's a basic Lutheran thing. So, you know, go to church. You don't go to church well enough. You know, um, you know, uh, honor God. You don't honor God well enough. You know, don't steal. You steal too much. There's this thing of you always, that God is always this guy who's got this big whip. And, and I sort of said, um, you know, the Ten Commandments are meant to tell you what pleases God and blesses you. Okay, that's the simplest way I can say it. The Ten Commandments tell you what pleases God and, and blesses you. He's like, that's exactly right. 
So, you know, I, I laid my chopsticks on the table and I said, um, you know, so it's like this. It's like this. This is your, this is your life, okay? Now, I don't know if the vicar's in here or not, but I once caused, on my, is the vic here? No, on my, no, he's teaching. On my, so, so here's the Ten Commandments. This is the way, okay? And then everything out here is, you know, sinfulness, okay? Um, now the question is, you know, what happens when you get out here, when you take a detour? In theory, you know, we all say, we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. We say that, okay? That's what we say. If we really absorb that, then you have this sense that you're always sort of doing this whenever you get around God. And I tell you, this is the reason why so many kids have trouble with the church. Because about the time they become adolescent, about the time they become teenagers, they do really stupid stuff. Now, you and I are old enough that we kind of do our s- stupid stuff discreetly or privately, right? <laughs> um, although with YouTube, you know, almost, I still say that YouTube is the greatest proof for original sin, you know? <laughs> Just watch 10, any random 10, that's all you'll see. But the problem is, is when people start to do stupid stuff and they're not very good on it, you know, like they leave their Facebook po- pages open or their friends tweet them in pictures even though they're locked down, you get the drill, okay? What happens then is people are always, always like this. You know, they're always kind of shielding themselves, and they're not quite sure that God is really for them. So if I asked you, and if you, if you, if you knew that the law always accuses, okay, so this, um, this is, and this is baseline stuff. If you bump into any kind of pastor, they're going to say this. The law always accuses. Luther said it. It's almost this, it's right, but it's applied in almost an aberrant way. So here's you, baptized, going to the Eucharist, somebody cuts you off. You say words that you will only repeat when you confess it later on your way to church. Then you get back in and you, know, you end up at the altar. You know, the question is, now I'm asking an honest question. What happens to you right there? What's your normal experience of that moment? What do you say? How do you feel about God? How does God feel about you? Because you know the law always accuses you. So how do you feel? Yeah, you feel horrible. You feel horrible, actually, and worn out. And you can multiply it by all the things that you've done wrong. Because here's the thing, Kovic, you and me, like twins separated at birth. It wasn't just that. It was this one over here, and then there's this one over here, and how about this? And there were two over here last night, right? So what happens is that when people have the sense that God is always accusing, always accusing, always accusing, always accusing, eventually you sort of give up on God. There's no reason, it's like an abusive spouse. There's no reason to stay with a spouse who abuses you. The church has been wrong about that for a very long time. That's another conversation. But we have this sense because we, we, we have this notion of God is holy and we're not holy, and we don't really grip what forgiveness is all about. And we don't grip it in the most poignant places, which is when we get here, you know, do you think God loves you or God hates you? He does still love you, but that's not how people normally act. Um, I can just tell you from being around people a lot. So here's the thing. When you do the stupidest, most horrible thing that you can do, the stupidest, most horrible, the thing you didn't think it was in you, <coughs> you have to remember that God, and this is where I blew my vicarage church up, don't tell the vicar. I was in a small Bible study. I said, does God punish you? And then, like, I said, when you sin, does God punish you? In fact, I should blow you up. 
When you sin, does God punish you? What do you say? Yes or no? Wow, you're ruined. Okay, that's good. Um, in my vicarage church, it was divided and almost across the table, and I actually thought they were going to strangle each other. And there was this notion of, you know, of course he punishes you because you did, I mean, it was like people come out of their chairs, and other people like, I'm a, so what happens is people get very confused, okay? So, you know, my contribution to this was the Ten Commandments tell you what pleases God and blesses you. And then, the, you know, this is, the, this is the, whatever the price was to bring, and I know, you know, to bring Klein again, I mean, it's, the price of admission is worth this for a single line. The law always accuses, but it does not always condemn. And you know this deep down in your heart. Should always, did not always condemn. You know the text. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And insofar as the Lord punishes you, he punishes you only to bump and nudge you, you know, back along the way. If the Lord punished you, beat you down, leaned on you, spoke harshly to you, every time you did something wrong for the rest of the day, I mean, I'd be at the ER with you by 10 tonight. This is terribly, terribly important. And behind this is, is that God is for you and not against you. You've heard that a hundred times from before, if not a thousand. He's for you and not against you. And he means to save you and not destroy you. Now, you know that, but practically speaking, it does not translate for people. And that's the reason people are always so grumpy in church. Because they feel like they're coming to take their medicine. Karen, you're the second hand up and one move away. Stay right there. So let's just, let's just parse this because I'm just going to tell you where I'm going. This is why this is so important. Because if you don't get this part right, then when we start to talk about all the ways that the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you're going to always feel like this cloud is hanging over your head. And you have to get this right. You just have to. If you want to live happily, confidently, without fear, we said this, you know, we said this a hundred times before, but really, you got, if you don't have this, you'll always feel like, you'll, just always, you'll always feel alone, unloved, unaffirmed, as if you're up short, as if you have to do it yourself, all the theological errors. And then, you know, as John often talks about it, you have a bad conscience. Conscience just means how you see yourself under the eyes of God, under the gaze of God. A parent is just such a great example of this because you feel with your, this is why it's so important to parent well, your kids feel when you look at them. They feel whether your gaze is one of love or your gaze is one of dissatisfaction. It's true for pastors too. You know, it's true for leaders in the church. It's true at your work, although maybe not so much because the theological stuff doesn't hold and work has gotten pretty blast tough the way people treat each other. I mean, the, in our generation, people have just become another dollar bill. That's very sad. Okay? But it's very important for you to understand that when God looks at you, he sees Christ, he loves you, and he doesn't. This is really important. He doesn't whack you. I can tell you that's the way I was, I was brought up in my church, not with my parents, but in my church, that every last thing you did, I mean, it was one for one, if not two for one. You know, the Lord was coming at you, and he was not happy. And my suggestion to you is that's the reason the church has shrunk over the years rather than grown, because who wants to be around people? If you, if you, even if you talk to kids, 
They want to be around people who are affirming. They know they're idiots sometimes. You don't have to really tell them they actually know that. But they want to be around people who, why do they want to hang around their friends? Because their friends don't judge them, right? Now, what if you could have a church where they didn't feel judged? So all those kids who sung this morning, what if their image of you as they grew up was that this was the safest place in the world, okay? This was the place that you would love them no matter what. Then your church will be a church, right? And then you understand what it is not to have a cranky father. And it all comes out of this very basic thing that, yes, the law condemns. God does have standards. He's not a slob. I mean, he has standards for what is, there's holiness and not holy things. But the message of the cross is that when you sin, he doesn't whack you. He instead touches you with Jesus, sees you, makes you holy. And the only time God would ever punish you is when he needs to, you get, you get kind of so far, or actually, it's not just distance. It's not that you're so far out of bounds. It's also that you're just a little out of bounds, but habitually, and you never come back in. So you always gossip a little bit, but you never come back in. At some point, he punishes just to bump and nudge you back into the place where God is pleased and you are blessed. The thing, this is the most important <laughs> thing, that you understand that when God sees you, he loves you, he's pleased with you. When you do things like the Acts 2 things we talked about, when you come to church, when you read your text, when you say your prayers, when you tithe, when you give alms, when you're merciful, when you give a good witness, this is so important to say to you, God is pleased with you. He's very, very happy with you. And you can be very, very happy with each other. You can be very pleased with yourselves. The old thing about don't tell him too many nice things because, you know, his head might be big. I would say we should probably let people's heads, like, expand to the point where they're going to blow up. Just as a counter offering to, you know, kind of, kind of harsh, and I'll just say harsh, the kind of harsh Lutheranism that I not only grew up with, but I've experienced in most people that I've known. And you, you wouldn't have to drive, you know, well, I don't want to put, I'm not putting it on another congregation so the metaphor doesn't work. You don't have to go very far in Lutheranism to hear that, okay? So the best thing about Lutheranism is it's right. The worst thing about it is it's misunderstood, and it's misunderstood on this key point, and that's what bollocks us up in terms of using the gifts that we've been given. So we don't live in freedom. We actually always live in, you know, with just kind of our defenses up and feeling slightly bad about ourselves. It's completely unnecessary, okay? Does that make sense? So here's the thing. I, what I don't want to do is just put another layer of, look, here's some gifts you've been given, and you, it can be heard two ways. Here's some gifts you've been given, and you're not using them very well. And would you just shape up? No, it's not that. It's like, hey, did you know that you forgot a million dollars in that lockbox over at the Wheaton Trust and that your name's in the paper? You might want to go pick that up because it'd make a difference in your life. It's more like that, right? Make sense? I just want to get the baseline down. Please. Good. So let's, I'm just going to parse you very slowly. So here's the law. For the, do the law is in here. Outside is not do the law. That's sin. Without the chopsticks, you don't know what sin is. Pause, pause, pause. You need to meet some Lutherans. You need to meet some Lutherans. I'm so good about it. No, no, pause, 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 p
，而是啊哒哒哒哒哒哒。I was right with you. I'm very, I'm very comfortable with the Holy Spirit on a continuum of tap to smack. But the notion that、um, people universally respond to correction with the "Oh, I'm sorry, and I'll do better," that's only halfway right. Because, and this is so, that tap or smack does two things. You're exactly right. Sometimes it makes people say, "Yeah, I got it wrong, and I'll try to do better." But other times, the other answer is, "There's nothing wrong with me at all." What? You ain't seen yet. Well, that that could be a third possibility. <laughs> you know, things reinforce. But basically, it makes people, in theological terms, it makes you prideful when people correct you about anything. Okay, this is the two things that happen. It either makes you prideful, you dig in, you're wrong. No, I'm not. And I would say that's a much more common and universal response. And that's the reason Jesus was so cranked at the Pharisees. The Pharisaical response was a prideful response. You're wrong," he'd say, and then they'd say, "No, I'm not." And then he, you know, occasionally it's like, "Geez, the hearts are so hard, and eyes are so closed, and ears are so stopped up." So I, I,、um, I'm with you halfway, which is, in a great circumstance, and frankly, this is where I want to go. I want to, I want to be able to, and it was what I was describing. I don't disagree with you at all, but there is the other side, and because that response is so common, often a pastor's response or a church's response or Christian response. Is often just to beat people into submission, which the thing is doesn't happen because you know you can only beat your kid until they're bigger than you are, and then a couple of other things happen. They either wail on you, or they leave, or they wail on you and they leave. Okay. Okay. So what I did want to do, I want that kind of at the baseline before we say the next thing. Because what the next thing is is like a whole another level of stuff, and、uh, I don't want the thing that I say in the next twelve weeks or whatever to be taken as this. I want to be taken as this. Karen Crawford, you're up. Those would be synonyms, I think. Discipline and punishment, I would take as the same way. Well, but a punishment in my head is severe that can be a stranger. Discipline takes us back into the circle again and gives us the opportunity to follow Christ. Good. Now, what I was yeah, it does. Now, what I was trying to do is use the biblical word. So I completely agree with you. Um, discipline is a word that's often used in the scriptures, but the old word, and I think a lot of people read an older Bible. The older word that was often punishment was often punishment, and、um, because people are trying to are going to run across that, I was trying to use that particular word. So, the point though, I the point is the same. It doesn't matter which word. the The point is whether it means to destroy you or restore you. And so,、um, what the Lord does, the the at the point, the Lord destroys people、uh, rarely and carefully, or rarely and judiciously, or rarely and、um, and you know what's the best word?、Uh, yeah, but you can't talk Latin in here, young man.、Uh, 
unless the kids are saying it. He, he, he does it, he does it, he does, it's not what he wants to do and it doesn't happen that often. For the Lord to destroy people before the final day is really, um, as much as you might think about sinful people in the world, uh, that's, that's, not, that's not the game that the Lord is, is up to. Yes, please. Right. That, I, and everything you've said is the reason why, I think it's one of the reasons why um, Jesus uses a parent metaphor so often for uh, what the church is meant to do to us. Because you can, you can ruin your kids by telling them all the right things <laughs> incessantly, right? I came across a quote from uh, Pope John XXIII, and, but I, then I found it the same week from, I think, Francis of Assisi that goes something like, you know, observe everything, um, you know, judge all but change little. So if you tell your kids or your husband, in your case with your husband, I'm not sure, but if you tell your kids or your husband or your wife all the time, if you tell them like the 19 ways they should shape up before the bears kick off today, nobody can take that. But we just can't take that because we know that that's in our, in our hearts. The reason for doing this, and it could be, you know, Bruce could be, could be right, um, but I want to be so careful with this because everything will go south here. So I take everything you say, you know, just at face value, but everything will go south here on the day that you think that the Lord is trying to destroy you rather than bump and nudge you back into here. And so I want to, I want to, um, I want to be careful because here's where we're going to go. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the Holy Spirit. It's like 12, 11 or something like that, or 14, something like that. It talks about the Holy Spirit energizing us for the next thing. And then what happens is, is in 1 Corinthians 13, this is where we're going to go next week. In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about faith, hope, and love, not just as these abstract things. It actually talks about them as divine powers. So in some ways, you have these superpowers that are given to you, and they're in you, and they're meant to be used at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. Beyond that, each of you get individual things. Some of you are very good le leaders. Some of you are very generous givers. Some of you are very good teachers. You know, some of you have a heart for the poor. You know, some of you come and fix things up and nobody even knows you're here. But that's a couple of levels down. And, and when the scriptures start to talk about that, those are all kind of overlapping and you get lists of seven and lists of nine and lists of three and they then the same thing. Once something's in one list, it's not in the other list. And it can look like... Ah, so the point is, you know, what we want to do is explore the energy that is provided by the Holy Spirit, but I want to get the baseline things down first, which is everything he gives, he gives for our good. God is extraordinarily pleased with us, and I'm not trying to give you one more thing to do. What I am asking is that the baseline things that everybody gets are strengthened in everybody so that we can do more good, and then you find, you know, the thing that, that might be best for you. Somebody had a hand up over here, maybe? Go and go, and then go. Anybody, go. So, yeah. So I hope I'm not beating a dead horse, but it's a simple summary, just to check my understanding. This is just kind of a third use of the law thing. You know, we're, we're, sometimes we're in the law, and then when we sin, we're out of it. And the law accuses us. It's written on our hearts to put us back to where we do the things that please God 
and black coffee. Yeah, but if you can say third use of the law, you've already drunk the Kool-Aid. And it means you're in a blog somewhere, and who knows what's going on. There's nothing more disputed in the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, except maybe the office of pastor, than the third use of the law. You want to have a fist fight in yeah. polite company? Say third use of the law next time you've had a couple of pops with your Lutheran friends and see what happens. So yes, here's the problem. This is what people don't get. The law always accuses. And that's where the third use of the law has always fought out. This is the second use of the law, as you recognize. This is the second, but this is the third. And these two are not put together. It stays here. And then people have no idea what to do with this border, which means they have no idea what to do with people. And so people, I just submit to you, people always feel beaten down, right? Because they don't know what's going on here. In their real lives, sure, you can have a sermon, you can have a liturgy, you can talk about forgiveness, you can talk about holiness, you can say this is what it looks like, and people go home and they yell at their wife on the way home, present company accepted, of course, you know. But, and then, like, what just happened, right? Christians do the stupidest things. Have you ever noticed that? Have you known any Christians? You should meet some. They do the stupidest things. I mean, they say they're going to do this, and they do this over here. And then when you say you should be doing this over here, then they get cranking. I never did, or it wasn't so bad, or I think it'll be okay, or what? Okay. Mr. Yonker. Well, good. So what, what happened? What's the difference between a nudge and what's the difference between evil? Okay, because you're simul justus epicotter, you're always a sinner and a saint. You sometimes can't tell the difference about what's happening, okay? This is why Luther would say, if you start to suffer really badly, the first thing you should do is examine yourself for sin, right? That's what, it's a good thing, but it's overplayed in Lutheranism. It's over, overplayed as pastoral care because what happens is there are some, sometimes there are other things, like you can be walking right down the middle and still be attacked by evil. I mean, the best people, I mean, saints in the church, you know, are regularly right down the middle and they're, they're attacked, okay? And it is important, and that's frankly why you have a pastor, a good friend, a spiritual director, because you can't, this is the sermon, you can't see your life in real time, and sometimes you say to somebody you really trust, I just don't know what's happening in my life. And, uh, and often then, that's, this is actually what a pastor is good for, what a friend is good for. So when an elder is good for, for a pastor, you say, I can't figure out my life, and it feels like a complete disaster. It's a waste. It's painful. I don't know what's happening. And the answer is, yeah, if there's anything extant, you know, this horrible thing, you know, if you're being unfaithful to your wife, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're, you know, if you're stealing from work, that's one answer, and it's probably this. But if everything is pretty much, you know, and this is what private confession for you, if everything is kind of pretty much in line, you can say then this is the way evil attacks people, okay? It's, is it ten till? Yes and no. Well, see, there's the problem right there. Um, all I want you to do is, I just, you know, if you know this, God bless you, I will tell you, this is the, one of the two or three hardest things. If you want to get in a fist fight among Lutherans, this is the conversation to bring up. Save it for Thanksgiving, maybe you need to play Trump at Christmas, you know, go ahead, do what you want. But uh, I, I want this really clear in your head before we do the next thing, because if not, what it will sound like is, I guarantee you, what it will sound like in Bible study for the next three months is, I don't really think you're that good, and you should really, really get busy. <coughs> what I want to say for the next two or three months is, God is really good. He's given us a ton of gifts. Have a good look at your life. Um, kind of joyfully kind of open the presents that have been given to you, and then see what you can do with them. That is not foreign to you, but maybe um, maybe you'll be surprised at um, 
the energy that the Holy Spirit has delivered for you. And maybe then, you know, you always have to have a good look at your life and see what the next thing is. I just, here's the thing, it's been a lumpy, up and, it's been a lumpy start because of, you know, a couple of guests and all kinds of things. But now we're about to go, and I want you just, I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page when we take off, okay? Love you. It was a great morning. Let's, uh, let's go do some more. Thanks. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you.